Welcome, Christian Israel. This is Eurofolk Radio. Today is October 15th, 2022, and this is Genesis to Revelation. Uh, this is Pastor Eli James. I'm my co-host, Dan, from Georgia. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing great. How are you? Jessica, I'm, uh, I'm hurting a little bit because I took a fall down the stairs, but I'm recovering as usual. Uh, nothing but tribulation. <laughs> <laughs> that's all the Bible promises us is tribulation. It doesn't promise us a, a cushy bed, you know, and comfort all day long. No, we have to we have to get through our tribulation period with a smile. Well, if not with a smile, then with grit and determination, right? That's what the Bible's all about. The Bible doesn't promise any, uh, as they say, a bed of roses. It's a uh, it's always a tribulation, and what we're finding out is even. David and Solomon and Saul, despite being kings, had nothing but tribulation. All right. So we're going to pick up where we left off at the end of 1 Kings chapter 2 because there's a kind of a smooth transition between Second uh, Samuel, at the end of Second Samuel, and First Kings, the transition from David to Solomon, and we have an article here that really kind of explains what the issue was between Solomon and Adoniah, his older brother. So, why don't you pick it up there, uh, Pastor Dan? <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. In King David's old age, he developed circulatory problems, <clears throat> and a beautiful young woman named Abishag was brought to the king to attend him and keep him warm. Abishag slept in the king's bed to provide body heat, though she and David were never sexually intimate. First Kings chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. After David's death, his son Solomon became king. Shortly afterward, another of David's sons, Adoniah, who had at one time tried to take over the kingdom, hatched another plot to wrest control from King Solomon. <clears throat> Adonai's first step was to ask Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, to secure Solomon's permission to give him Abishag as a wife. Now, I never, that's an interesting cure for poor circulation. <laughs> Have a beautiful young woman sleep with you, right? <laughs> that's, that's a fascinating cure. All right, back to you. I think probably a lot of a lot of guys would. would oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, it beats uh, it beats having to pay a doctor a thousand dollars to give you a bad bad diagnosis, <laughs> right? Or take drugs that are going to uh, have all kinds of side effects, right? All right, exactly. back back to you. Adonai's request seems anxious enough, but it was full of subterfuge. Solomon's initial response was one of indignation. He said to his mother, Why do you request Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? You might as well request the kingdom for him. After all, he is my older brother. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 22. Solomon rightly saw Adonijah's desire to marry Abishag as part of his brother's ongoing attempt to take over the kingdom of Israel. Okay, so uh, this is an ongoing story of throughout history, not just among the Israelites, but various other nations, the successor to the reigning king often takes takes the kingdom by force, by assassinating the king or subterfuge 
etc., yeah, etc. Et I mean, this is this is history, folks. <laughs> All right, and you would think that the Israelites would be immune to this kind of violence in transitioning from one king to another, but we're not. Okay, we just aren't. And so we do this to ourselves without the Jews helping us. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Okay, very important. All right, back to you. You know, we fight among ourselves more than, than anything, yes, really. Yes, that is correct. That is correct. And then when we start fighting among ourselves, that's when the Jews take advantage. Ah, oh, we see an opportunity. Who do we support? Uh-huh. Well, let's support both of them and see who wins. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. All right. Okay. In those days of royal harems, taking possession of a king's concubine was a declaration of one's right to the throne. Ah, okay. So that that was the game. Very interesting. Okay. This had been one of Absalom's methods when he led a coup against David, Second Samuel chapter 16, verse 22. Since Abishag was considered part of David's harem, her marriage to Adonai would have strengthened the usurper's claim to the throne. In judgment for Adonai's request, Solomon said, God, do so to me and more also if this word does not cost Adonai his life. First Kings chapter 2, verse 23. He quickly sent Benaiah, one of their father's mighty men, to execute Adoniah. The tension between Adoniah and Solomon had been long-standing. Adoniah was older than Solomon and therefore, under normal circumstances, in line before Solomon for the throne. But God promised that Solomon would be king. Adoniah had already attempted to set himself up as king while David was still alive. When David was notified of the plot, he quickly made Solomon's kingship official. First Kings chapter 1, verses 38 through 40. Adonai's followers had fled, leaving him in a situation where he could have been killed for his rebellion. King Solomon mercifully granted Adonai his life on the condition that he pay homage to the king and give up his claim to the throne. Okay. First Kings Chapter 1, verses 52 and 53. Okay, so Solomon tried to be kind to Adoniah, but we'll, uh, let's continue and see what how, why did Solomon eventually wind up executing Adoniah. Yet Adoniah was clearly not done in his attempts to become king. His plan to acquire Abishag as a wife was seen for what it was, a threat to Solomon's rule. Adoniah's plan cost him his life, and the sibling rivalry came to an abrupt end. The execution of Adoniah was considered part of the establishment of Solomon's kingdom. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 19-25. An interesting theory put forward by some scholars is that Abishag appears later in the Song of Solomon, that she is, in fact, the Shulamite of that book. Ah, oh, very interesting. Very interesting. Chapter 6, yeah. verse 13. There is no solid biblical evidence for the link between the two other than a similarity between the words Shulamite and Shunamite. First Kings chapter one, verse three. Many lessons can be learned from this account. First, it is clear that a struggle for power can cause people to turn to deceit, violence, and lawlessness. Second, God is the one who ultimately appoints rulers, not people. Third, there are consequences for sin. In Adonai's case, his ongoing attempt to become king led to his early and abrupt death. We are called to submit to God's will and to live contentedly where God has placed us in life. Okay. So, 
Adoniah, I am not attempting to dethrone you. Let me have... Now, it's interesting that whether or not um, Adoniah knew that Abishag did not have sexual relations with David. What Would that count her as a, a woman of the harem? I wouldn't think it would. I All she did it. was sleep yeah. in the bed with him. Yeah, she just kept him warm. <laughs> yeah. Right? So... Uh, yeah, so technically she would not be a member of the harem. But yeah. in, in people's eyes, right? <laughs> Perceptions right. are what drives the world. You know, image is everything. And uh, facts don't count for anything. So, yeah, uh, Adonai would have considered her to be a member of David's harem. And, and thereby, he, that's why he requested her. That's That's very interesting. I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Perception is reality. That's right. For most people, perception is reality. That's absolutely right. Okay, so uh, let's get back to it. We're in First uh, Kings chapter, chapter three. three. Chapter three. Okay. Yeah. All right. And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David, until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of Yahweh, and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Only the people sacrificed in high places, because there was no house built unto the name of Yahweh until those days. And Solomon loved Yahweh, walking in the statutes of, his David, of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon, Yahweh appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what shall what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. And now, O Yahweh my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither has asked riches for thyself, nor has asked the life of your enemies, but has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words, Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee. Neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among kings like unto thee all thy days. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh. 
and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, O my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered, that this woman was delivered also, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thy handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son, which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they did speak. Thus they spake before the king. The king. Okay, let's have a DNA test. <laughs> yeah. Right? That'll settle this matter scientifically. Yeah. Yep. Then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that lives. And thy son is the dead. And the other saith, No, but thy son is the dead, and my son is the living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O my lord, Give her the living child, and in no way, no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged. And they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. Okay. Hmm. How about that? A wise judge. <laughs> Is there such a thing in the land today? Uh, Not hardly. Not hardly. Okay, chapter 4. Chapter 4. So King Solomon was king over all Israel. And these were the princes which he had. Azariah, the son of Zadok the priest. Elahorath and Ahiah, the sons of Shisha, scribes. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, the recorder. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the host. And Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. And Azariah, the son of Nathan, was over the officers. And Zebud, the son of Nathan, was principal officer and the king's friend. And Abishar was over the household. And Adoniram, the son of Abda, was over the tribute. And Solomon had twelve officers over all Israel, which provided victuals for the king and his household. Each man his month in a year made provision. And these are their names. The son of Hur in Mount Ephraim. The son of Dekar in Machaz. And Shealbim and Beth Shemesh and Elon Beth Hanan. The son of Hesed in Aruboth. To him pertain Soko and all the land of Hefer. The son of Abinadab in all the region of Dor. 
which had Tapheth, the daughter of Solomon, to wife. Diana, the son of Ahilud, to him pertained Teanach and Megiddo, and all Bethshean, which is by Zartana, between uh, beneath Jezreel, from Bethshean to Abamola, even unto the place that is beyond Jotham. The son of Geber in Ramoth Gilead, to him pertain the towns of Jair, the son of Manasseh, which are in Gilead. To him also pertain the region of Argob, which is in Bashan, three score great cities with walls and brazen bars. Ahinadab, the son of Iddo, had Mahanam. Ahimaaz was in Naphtali. He also took Basmath, the daughter of Solomon, to wife. Diana, the son of Hushai, was in Asher and in Aloth. Jehoshaphat, the son of Perua in Issachar. Shimei, the son of Elah in Benjamin. Geber, the son of Uri, was in the country of Gilead, in the country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and of Og, king of Bashan, and he was the only officer which was in the land. Judah and Israel were many, as the sand which is by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and making merry. And Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river unto the land of the Philistines and unto the border of Egypt. They brought presents and served Solomon all the days of his life. And Solomon's provision for one day was 30 measures of fine flour and three score measures of meal, 10 fat oxen and 20 oxen out of the pastures and 100 sheep beside harts and roebucks and fallow deer and fatted fowl. For he had dominion over all the region on this side, the river from Tipsha to Asa over all the kings on this side, the river. And he had peace on all sides round about him. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. And Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And those officers provided victual for King Solomon and for all that came unto King Solomon's table, every man in his month. They lacked nothing. Barley also and straw for the horses and dromedaries brought they into the palace where the officers were, every man according to his charge. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, and Heman, and Calcal, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all nations round about. Okay, now this, these two verses are very interesting and uh, deserve uh, further study and research, because the East Country, who are these of the East Country? Uh, Ethan the Ezrahite, and Heman, and Calcal, and Darda. Well, Calcal and Darda are sons of Zerah, Zerah Judah, okay? They were already established in the northern Mediterranean area, having established the Peloponnesus, uh, Rome, and um, uh, Greece, etc., and even as far north as uh, Gaul, okay? So the, these areas were colonized by the sons of Zerah Judah, and then, of course, uh, I think uh, around this time, this was the beginning of the era of uh, colonization of Spain and Ireland 
and Britain. Okay, so when Solomon says that your people are numberless, he's not just talking about Palestine. He's talking about all the areas of the world where the children of Israel had already started colonizing. Back to you. Okay. Yep. Verse 32. And he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were a thousand and five. And he spake of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. And there came of all the people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all kings of the earth, which had heard of his wisdom. He is the first rock star. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Okay. Chapter 5. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants unto Solomon, for he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father. For Hiram was ever a lover of David. And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, Thou knowest how that David my father could not build a house unto the name of Yahweh his God for the wars which were about him on every side, until Yahweh put them under the soles of his feet. But now Yahweh my God has given me rest on every side, so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And behold, I purpose to build a house unto the name of Yahweh my God, as Yahweh spake unto David my father, saying, Thy son, whom will I set up upon thy throne in thy room? He shall build a house unto my name. Now therefore command thou that thou hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon, and my servants shall be with thy father's servants, and unto thee I will give hire for thy servants according to all that thou shalt appoint. For thou knowest that there is not among us any that can skill to hew timber like unto the Sidonians. And it came to pass when David heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be Yahweh this day, which has given unto David a wise son over this great people. And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the things which thou sentest to me for, and I will do all thy desire concerning timber of cedar and concerning timber of fir. My servant shall bring them down from Lebanon unto the sea, and I will convey them by sea in floats unto the place that thou shalt appoint me, and will cause them to be discharged there. And thou shalt receive them, and thou shalt accomplish my desire in giving food for my household. So Hiram gave Solomon cedar trees and fir trees according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 measures of wheat for food to his household, and 20 measures of pure oil. Thus gave Solomon to Hiram year by year. Okay, this is very important information because we're talking about the historicity and the beginning of what was later called Phoenicia. Because Phoenicia was started by Hiram of Tyre. He, he wasn't the one who started the, um, how should I put it, the, the Phoenician trading expositions, but this is the beginning of it right here. Okay? So he had to convey all of the cedar and other goods by ship from Tyre down to Jerusalem. And this is, this is the origin of Phoenicia. Well, and we have the secular critics of the Bible telling us that the, the language spoken by the Phoenicians, which is, they agree, is 100% or nearly 100% the same as Hebrew, 
telling us that the Phoenician language came first. Folks, that's not possible. That's an absurd claim. Because Hebrew existed thousands of years before Phoenician, and we're being told right here, this is the origin of the country that eventually became Phoenicia. Back to you. Verse 12. And Yahweh gave Solomon wisdom, as he promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon. And they too made a league together. And King Solomon raised a levy out of all Israel, and the levy was 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month by courses. A month they were in Lebanon, and two months at home. And Adoniram was over the levy. And Solomon had threescore and 10,000 that bear burdens, and 4,000 hewers in the mountains. Beside the chief of Solomon's officers, which were over the work, 3,300, which ruled over the people that wrought in the work. And the king commanded, and they brought great stones, costly stones, and huge stones, to lay the foundation of the house. And Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders did hew them, and the stone squarers, so they prepared timber and stones to build the house. Okay, so the construction of the temple begins. Very good. Chapter 6, and it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziph, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of Yahweh. And the house which King Solomon built for Yahweh, the length thereof was threescore cubits, and the breadth thereof twenty cubits, and the height thereof thirty cubits. And the porch before the temple of the house, 20 cubits was the length thereof, according to the breadth of the house. And 10 cubits was the breadth thereof before the house. And for the house he made windows of narrow lights. And against the wall of the house he built chambers round about, against the walls of the house round about, both of the temple and of the oracle. And he made chambers round about. The the nethermost chamber was five cubits broad, And the middle was six cubits broad, and the third was seven cubits broad. For without in the wall of the house he made narrow rests round about, that the beams should not be fastened in the walls of the house. And the house, when it was in building, was built of stone ready-made before it was brought thither, so that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was in building. The door for the middle chamber was in the right side of the house. And they went up with winding stairs into the middle chamber and out of the middle into the third. So he built the house and finished it and covered the house with beams and boards of cedar. And then he built chambers against all the house, five cubits high. And they rested on the house with timbers of cedar. And the word of Yahweh came to Solomon, saying, Concerning this house which thou art in building, if thou wilt walk in my statutes and execute my judgments, and keep all my commandments to walk in them. Then will I perform my word with thee, which I spake unto David thy father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. And he built the walls of the house within the borders, within with boards of cedar, both the floor of the house and the walls of the ceiling. 
and he covered them on the inside with wood and covered the floor of the house with planks of fir. And he built 20 cubits on the sides of the house, both the floor and the walls with boards of cedar. He even built them for it within, even for the oracle, even for the most highly holy place. And the house, that is, the temple before it, was 40 cubits long. And the cedar of the house was carved with knots and open flowers. All was cedar. There was no stone seen. And the oracle he prepared in the house within to set there the ark of the covenant of Yahweh. And the oracle in the forepart was 20 cubits in length and 20 cubits in breadth and 20 cubits in the height thereof. And he overlaid it with pure gold and so covered the altar, which was of cedar. So Solomon overlaid the house within with pure gold and he made a partition by the chains of gold before the oracle. And he overlaid it with gold. Okay. Uh, and let the me inter- house. Yeah, yeah. Let me interject here. Because yep. according to Dr. Wesley Swift, the cedars of Lebanon were every bit as large as the sequoia trees you know, in California. So we're talking lots of lumber, <laughs> right? And mm-hmm. the, uh, the plan for this, since everything was pre-cut and delivered, and uh, installed without any hammer blows. Apparently, there wasn't any uh, hammering or loud noises or cutting taking place. It was all pre-planned. The architecture and engineering had to be very sophisticated to build such a large structure with uh, all these plans laid beforehand. Okay, so this mm-hmm. is very impressive, you know. So uh, the uh, architects and the carpenters and the engineers, the stonemasons of the Israelites and the Tyrians had to be very sophisticated by this point in time. Okay, back to you. Verse 22. And the whole house he overlaid with gold until he had finished all the house. Also the whole altar that was by the oracle he overlaid with gold. And within the oracle, he made two cherubims of olive tree, each ten cubits high. And five cubits was the one wing of the cherub, and five cubits the other wing of the cherub. From the uttermost part of the one wing unto the uttermost part of the other were ten cubits. And the other cherub was ten cubits. Both the cherubims were of one measure and one size. The height of the one cherub was ten cubits, and so was it of the other cherub. And he set the cherubims within the inner house, and they stretched forth the wings of the cherubims, so that the wing of the one touched the one wall, and the wing of the other cherub touched the other wall, and their wings touched one another in the midst of the house. And he overlaid the cherubims with gold, and he carved all the walls of the house round about with carved figures of cherubims and palm trees and open flowers within and without. And the floor of the house he overlaid with gold, within and without. And for the entering of the oracle, he made doors of olive tree. The lintel and side posts were a fifth part of the wall. The two doors also were of olive tree. And he carved upon them carvings of cherubims and palm trees and open flowers, and overlaid them with gold, and spread gold upon the cherubims and upon the palm trees. So also made he for the door of the temple posts of olive tree, a fourth part of the wall. And the two doors were of fir tree. The two leaves of the one door were folding, and the two leaves of the other door were folding. 
And he carved thereon cherubims and palm trees and open flowers, and covered them with gold fitted upon the carved work. And he built the inner court with three rows of hewn stone and a row of cedar beams. In the fourth year was the foundation of the house of Yahweh laid in the month Ziph. And in the eleventh year, in the month Bull, which is the eighth month, was the house finished throughout all the parts thereof, and according to all the fashion of it. So was he seven years in building it. Okay. Like the Sears Tower. <laughs> All right. Seven years. Wow. Yeah. That yeah. took a long time. That's right. You can imagine the scaffolding that it had to set up, right, to, to get yeah. up that high. All right. Chapter 7. Chapter 7. But Solomon was building his own house 13 years, and he finished all his house. He built also the house of the forest of Lebanon. The length thereof was 100 cubits, and the breadth thereof 50 cubits and the height thereof thirty cubits, upon four rows of cedar pillars, with cedar beams upon the pillars. And it was covered with cedar above the beams, upon, uh, above upon the beams, that lay on forty-five pillars, fifteen in a row. And there were windows in three rows, and light was against light in three ranks. And all the doors and posts were square, with the windows, and the light was against light, in three ranks. And he made a porch of pillars, the length thereof was fifty cubits, and the breadth thereof thirty cubits, and the porch was before them, and the other pillars and the thick beam were before them. Then he made a porch for the other uh, for the throne where he might judge, even the porch of judgment, and it was covered with cedar from one side of the floor to the other. And his house where he dwelt had another court within the porch which was of the like work. Solomon made also a house for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken to wife, like unto his porch. Okay, so here again, this proves that uh, Israelite men can take white women of any tribe to wife, okay? Mm -hmm. And their offspring would be considered Israelites, but the reverse is not true, okay? So if an Israelite man marries a... um, let's say an Egyptian woman, uh, her offspring would not be uh, Egyptians, <laughs> right? They wouldn't be considered Egyptians, unless maybe they decided to reside there and never, you know, uh, uh, kept company with the Israelites thereafter, right? So this shows mm-hmm. uh, very conclusively, and the Bible does not complain about this marriage, she was a white woman of Ham. Uh, and this is why when we talk about Abraham and Hagar, well, Hagar was an Egyptian woman. So what? She was white. That's the bottom yeah. line. She was an Adamite woman. And as long as the wife is an Adamite woman, the offspring of an Israelite man and an Adamite woman are considered Israelites, period. We have patriarchal lines of descent. The Jews have matriarchal lines of descent. Okay. Back to you. And people people look around and they see, well, uh, you know, Egyptian people today are kind of dark skinned, but it wasn't like that back in these days. That's right. This, yeah. was, this was back in a time when, and then all our people migrated over the Caucasus Mountains, became known as Caucasians. Right. So in this time, it, they were talking white people here. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, King Tut, his. Uh, DNA was analyzed on the sly, right? Some people managed to get in there and get a portion of his body, and they they concluded he was 
point something percent Caucasian, right? Wow. Okay, so there there's no doubt. It. And then if you actually go to Egypt and look at the rows of statues of, uh, well, they're kind of, they're, what's the, uh, what's the big statue in front of the Great Pyramid? What's that called? Oh, the, the Sphinx. Okay. So when you go into the rows of kings, where we have rows and rows of smaller sphinxes with uh, faces, those faces are all Caucasian. Just look mm-hmm. at them. They're Caucasian. There's an occasional Negroid face, usually a, a slave. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It's very obvious that these faces are Caucasian and no other race. Back to you. Verse 9. All these were of costly stones, according to the measures of huge stones, sawed with saws, within and without, even from the foundation unto the coping, and so on the outside toward the great court. And the foundation was of costly stones, even great stones, stones of ten cubits and stones of eight cubits. Okay, hold on, hold, hold, hold on, hold on. This is very important here. That okay. these stones were sawed with saws within and without. What kind of saws were they? <laughs> uh, what kind of saws in those days could cut stone? Yeah. It, it couldn't have been brass. They had to have some mechanism for cutting the stone with saws. Let me just take a look at the word here, saws. Megaray, megara, saw, axe, saw. Okay, so sawed with saws, okay? Bring up the, so, so I think this would be a rough cut. So we're talking about a rough cut, and then they were obviously able to smooth them later on. All right, back to you. Okay, verse 11. And above were costly stones, after the measures of huge stones and cedars. And the great court roundabout was with three rows of huge stones and a row of cedar beams, both for the inner court of the house of Yahweh and for the porch of the house. And King Solomon sent and fetched Hiram out of Tyre. He was a widow's son of the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in brass. And he was filled with wisdom and understanding and cunning to work all works in brass. And he came to King Solomon and wrought all his work. For he cast two pillars of brass of 18 cubits high apiece, and a line of 12 cubits did compass either of them about. And he made two chapters of molten brass to set upon the tops of the pillars. The height of the one chapter was five cubits, and the height of the other chapter was five cubits. And nets of checker work and wreaths of chain work for the chapters were upon the top of the pillars, seven for the one chapter and seven for the other chapter. And he made the pillars and two rows roundabout upon the one network to cover the chapters that were upon the top with the pomegranates, and so did he for the other chapter. And the chapters that were upon the top of the pillars were of lily work in the porch, four cubits. And the chapters upon the two pillars had pomegranates also above, over against the belly, which was by the network. And the pomegranates were 200 in rows round about upon the other chapter. And he set up the pillars in the porch of the temple, 
and he set up the right pillar and called the name thereof Jachin. And he set up the left pillar and called the name thereof Boaz. And upon the top of the pillars was lily work. So was the work of the pillars finished. And he made a molten sea, ten cubits from the one brim to the other. It was round all about, and his height was five cubits, and a line of thirty cubits did compass it round about. And under the brim of it round about, there were knots compassing it, ten in a cubit, compassing the sea round about. The knots were cast in two rows when it was cast. It stood upon twelve oxen, three looking toward the north, and three looking toward the west, and three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east. And the sea was set above upon them, and all their hinder parts were inward. And it was a hand breadth thick, and the brim thereof was wrought like a brim of a cup, with flowers of lilies. It contained two thousand baths. And he made ten bases of brass. Four cubits was the length of one base, and four cubits the breadth thereof, and three cubits the height of it. And the work of the bases was on this manner. They had borders, and the borders were between the ledges. And on the borders that were between the ledges were lions, oxen, and cherubims. And upon the ledges there was a base above. And beneath the lions and oxen were certain additions made of thin work. And every base had four brazen wheels and plates of brass. And the four corners thereof had undersetters. And the labor were undersetters molten at the side of every addition. Okay, now wait a minute. I thought the Israelites were not supposed to make uh, images of brass. Right? This is different. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we're not to make images to worship. Right. Okay. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. See, a lot of people get this wrong. You know, you, you can have objects of art in your home, but you don't bow down before them and worship them you know, like a right. like a molten calf, right? So, uh, so this this proves that you know we can have works of art in our house. We're just not supposed to worship them. You know, like like that like that uh, photograph of uh, what's her name, Britney Spears, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, all right. Now I forgot where we were. I lost my place. Uh, where where are you at? Verse thirty one. Thirty one. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And the mouth of it within the chapter and above was a cubit, but the mouth thereof was round after the work of the base, a cubit and a half. And also upon the mouth of it were gravings with their borders, four square, not round. And under the borders were four wheels, and the axle trees of the wheels were joined to the base, and the height of a wheel was a cubit and a half and half a cubit. And the work of the wheels was like the work of a chariot wheel. Their axle trees and their naves and their fellows and their spokes were all molten. And there were four undersetters to the four corners of one base, and the undersetters were of the very base itself. And in the top of the base, there was a round compass of half of half a cubit high, and on the top of the base, the ledges thereof and the borders thereof were of the same. For on the plates of the ledges thereof and on the borders thereof, he graved cherubims, lions, and palm trees, according to the proportion of every one, 
and additions round about. In this manner, he made the ten bases. All of them had one casting, one measure, and one size. Then he made ten labors of brass. One labor contained forty baths, and every labor was four cubits, and upon every one of the ten bases, one labor. And he put five bases on the right side of the house, and five on the left side of the house. And he set the sea on the right side of the house, eastward over against the south. And Hiram made labors, and the shovels, and the basins. So Hiram made an end of doing all the work that he made King Solomon for the house of Yahweh. The two pillars, and the two bowls of the chapters that were on top of the two pillars, and the two networks to cover the two bowls of the chapters which were upon the top of the pillars. And 400 pomegranates for the two networks, even two rows of pomegranates for one network, to cover the two bowls of the chapters that were upon the pillars, and the ten bases and the ten labors on the bases, and one seed and twelve oxen under the seed, and the pots and the shovels and the basins, and all these vessels which Hiram made to King Solomon for the house of Yahweh were of bright brass. In the plain of Jordan did the king cast them, in the clay ground between Succoth and Zarthan. And Solomon left all the vessels unweighed, because they were exceeding many. Neither was the weight of the brass found out. And Solomon made all the vessels that pertained unto the house of Yahweh, the altar of gold, and the table of gold, whereupon the showbread was, and the candlesticks of pure gold, five on the right side and five on the left, before the oracle, within, with the flowers and lamps and the tongs of gold, and the bowls and the snuffers and the basins and the spoons and the censers of pure gold and the hinges of gold, both for the doors of the inner house, the most holy place, and for the doors of the house to wit of the temple. So was ended all the work that King Solomon made for the house of Yahweh. And Solomon brought in the things which David his father had dedicated, even the silver and the gold and the vessels did he put among the treasures of the house of Yahweh. Okay, so you can see the wealth of the kingdom at this point in time was humongous, right? So mm-hmm. it, it, well, yeah, you have to consider the booty that uh, King David had amassed from conquering all the Edomite tribes and uh, the Philistines, etc., etc., okay? So all that was gathered by David into his uh, into the kingdom, right? And so Solomon was using all that stuff to build a temple. Now it, it's it's interesting. It says that the uh, what's it called uh, the bowl, the big bowl in the center of the room, and it's a uh, I forget now what it's called, and I'm not able to scroll up for some reason, but uh, yeah, the huge bowl. That, uh, was, it was cast, it says here, it was cast in the clay of a, of a neighboring, uh, precinct. So they dug out the clay of a precinct, you know, of, of a, whatever country it was, and they poured the molten, uh, metal right into that area, because it's such a huge casting, that they probably, there was probably no factory, <laughs> uh, big enough to do that. So that's very interesting. The, the technical details described uh, in these chapters here 
I'm sure an engineer would find them very interesting, all right? So they figured out a way to just pour the molten metal right into the clay casting dug right out of the ground. So they had to spend some time smoothing it out and in some way of making sure that you didn't have a big puddle in the center, okay? So they had to figure out a way of doing that to cast this huge bowl uh, of uh, to hold the so-called sea, you know, which had to be a huge bowl in the center of the room uh, that contained water, holy water. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Not even the Catholic Church would have anything close to it. Okay. Uh, so the technical details uh, in these, you know, the first time we went through these uh, uh, verses uh, in our first run-through of the Bible, you know, we didn't pay much attention to these technical details. Because we were just trying to t- tell the story of Israel and the two bloodlines, right? Mm-hmm. So, so here we see uh, th- there's a wealth of information here if you pay attention to, the, to these details. All right, uh, back to you, chapter 8. Chapter 8. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the Ark. And they brought up the Ark of Yahweh in the tabernacle of the congregation, and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. Even those did the priests and the Levites bring up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of Yahweh unto his place, into the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their two wings over the place of the ark, And the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves, that the ends of the staves were seen out in the holy place before the oracle. And they were not seen without. And there were they, and there they are unto this day. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone, which Moses put there at Horeb. When Yahweh made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they came up, when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of Yahweh so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of Yahweh had filled the house of Yahweh. Then spake Solomon, Yahweh said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. I have surely built thee an house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide in forever. And the king turned his face about and blessed all the congregation of Israel. And all the congregation of Israel stood. And he said, Blessed be Yahweh, God of Israel, which spake with his mouth unto David my father, and has with his hand fulfilled it, saying, Since the day that I brought forth my people Israel out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel to build an house, that my name might be therein. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. And it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of Yahweh, God of Israel. And Yahweh said unto David, my father, Whereas it was in thine heart to build a house unto my name, thou didst well that it was in thy heart. 
Nevertheless, thou shalt not build the house, but thy son that shall come forth out of thy loins, he shall build the house unto my name. And Yahweh has performed his word that he spake. And I am risen up in the room of David my father, and sit on the throne of Israel, as Yahweh promised, and have built a house for the name of Yahweh God of Israel. And I have set there a place for the ark, wherein is the covenant of Yahweh, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And Solomon stood before the altar of Yahweh in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. And he said, Yahweh, God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath, who keeps covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all their heart, who has kept with my with thy servant David, my father, that thou promised him. Thou speak, spakest also with thy mouth and has fulfilled it with thine hand as it is this day. Therefore now, Yahweh, God of Israel, Keep with thy servant David, my father, that thou promised him, saying, There shalt not fail thee a man in my sight to sit on the throne of Israel, so that thy children take heed to their way, that they walk before me as thou hast walked before me. And now, O God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be verified, which thou speakest unto thy servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. Yet have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Yahweh my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prays before thee today, that thine eyes may be open toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, My name shall be there. But thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall make toward this place. And hearken thou to the supplication of the servant, of thy servant, and of thy people Israel, when they shall pray toward this place, and hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and when thou hearest, forgive. If any man trespass against his neighbor, and an oath be laid upon him cause, to cause him to swear, and the oath come before thine altar in this house, then hear thou in heaven and do and judge thy servants, condemned, condemning the wicked to bring his way upon his head and justifying the righteous to give him according to his righteousness. When thy people Israel be smitten down before the enemy because they have sinned against thee and shall turn again to thee and confess thy name and pray and make supplication unto thee in this house, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy people Israel and bring them again unto the land which thou gavest unto their fathers. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain, because they have sinned against thee, if they pray toward this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin, when thou afflictest them, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel, that thou teach them the good way wherein they should walk, and give rain upon thy land, which thou hast given to thy people for an inheritance. So when was the last time that the Jews had ever confessed any sins? <laughs> they can't do anything Never. wrong. They always blame us. Mm-hmm. All right, but just more proof that they're not Israelites. All right, back to you. Uh, we may not have time to finish this. We'll have a couple of minutes yeah. left. Right. Do you want to um, go another minute or do you want to cut it off here? 
Well, uh, yeah, I think we can go one more minute. So, is it okay. take it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, verse 37. If there be in the land famine, if there be pestilence, blasting, mildew, locust, or if there be caterpillar, if their enemy besiege them in the land of their cities, whatsoever plague, whatsoever sickness there be, what prayer and supplication soever be made by any man, or by all thy people Israel, which shall know every man the plague of his own heart, and spread forth his hands toward his toward this house. Then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive, and do, and give every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest. For thou, even thou only, knowest the hearts of all the children of men, that they may fear thee all the days that they live in the land which thou gavest unto the, our fathers. Moreover, concerning a stranger that is not of thy people Israel, but cometh out of a far country for thy name's sake, for they shall hear of thy great name and of thy strong hand and of thy stretched out arm. When he shall come and pray toward this house, hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and do according to all that the stranger calls to thee for, that all the people of the earth may know thy name to fear thee as do thy people Israel, and that they may know that this house which I have builded is called by thy name. And those are Nokri. Nokri. Those wow. are Nokri. Okay. So, every knee shall bow, right? Even of the other races. So, there's no intention of Yahweh for us to exterminate the other races, as some uh, false scribes, <laughs> some yes. false teachers have told. <laughs> All right? Thank you. I mean, wow. This is great stuff. It's great stuff. Yes. Thanks for narrating, Dan, and thank you all for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. We are still learning, folks. There's a lot to learn. All right. Take all care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye, and see you next time. Yep.